Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Continue our study this week, God's Mission, My Mission. This week, we're looking at the title of Lesson 6, Motivation and Preparation for Mission. And Pastor Howard, I thought that was an interesting thing that was kind of the antithesis to last week's lesson was all about excuses to avoid mission. Now we're looking at the reasons to engage in mission and things we need to do to get ready. So um, that's very straightforward what it is. Sure. Now, your passage last time was Jonah, was the book of Jonah was rooted in that. I've noticed before they've had lessons rooted all about Abraham's experience in this one piece Mm -hmm. of passage. This week we do something similar. They're taking the author, Luke, and taking the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts, which of course were both written by Luke, and that one from Luke 24 into Acts 1 and 2 is the section of scripture that they actually, the flow of this week's lesson goes in chronological order from the end of Luke 24, or from Luke 24 mm-hmm. through Acts 1 and 2, and draws out some lessons there. But All right, we can well, kind of... Why don't we have a word of prayer, and then you can give us our talking points for this week. Okay. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the testimony of Scripture. We thank you for the privilege we have of partnering with Jesus, taking his yoke upon us, that yoke of obedience and service. And Lord, we pray that as we, uh, those of us who are leading this lesson and those who are participating, uh, as we meditate upon these things, we would be motivated to a greater sense of mission and that we would be faithful in carrying out the gospel commission to the world. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, my little introductory thought here says, based on Luke's account of early church experiences, again, Luke 24 to Acts 2, this week's study examines some motivations we should have and preparations we should make as we seek to share Christ with others. All right. So this week's lesson is, again, broken down chronologically as you go through it. But what we try to draw out are talking points thematically or topically to say, like, here's a point and here's another point. So uh, the lesson does that by just walking through the story in order. But we're going to kind of draw things out out of order. What to have make you done with it there, Pastor Cameron? What are our talking points this week? <laughs> well, there are three talking points. The first two talking points are motivations, and the last one is about preparation. Okay. So, talking point number one, we should share Christ for what he has done for us. So, that's taken from Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, but out of the response of what Christ has given for us, we should give to others. That's a motivation. Talking point number two, we should share Christ for what he will do for others. So not only what he's done for us, but the hope of what he does, going to do for others. And that's taken from Wednesday and Thursday. And finally, effective witnessing requires preparation. And that's primarily from Tuesday's lesson. And I would say that's personally and corporately, individually as as a person, and then as a local church. Preparation. Preparation. Is that a needful thing in spiritual work? It is an absolute... Does the spirit just lead... (laughs) We're going to find out how the Spirit led in the early church, All right. and it involved preparation. But for right now, let's talk about the motivation for sharing our faith. We should right. share Christ for what he has done for us. And inside of this, uh, they, they, they anchor this particular section in the stories of Luke chapter 24. Right. In Luke 24, there are essentially three blocks of story, three chronological uh, encounters, first starting with the women 
who encountered the empty tomb when they went with the spices, right? right? And they learn that Jesus resurrected and they go and tell the disciples about it. The other two are the road to Emmaus and then Jesus meeting with the disciples after that again. But we'll start with the first one in Luke 24, 1 through 12. A genuine experience with Christ is uncontainable. Now, we don't, we don't want to take the time to actually read through all those 12 verses, right. but we're probably familiar enough with the story that the women, as we just talked about, go to the tomb. They're expecting to find a body there. They didn't have time before the Sabbath to prepare his body fully as they wanted to. So they're bringing the spices and oils with them and they find the empty tomb and they get the information that Jesus is risen and they go back and tell the disciples, but the news is so great, nobody believes them. Peter runs back and just marvels at the scene, right? That's what the whole story leads up. And clearly, if you are a person in that circumstance, you're expecting to go anoint a body for burial, and instead you find out that that person who you dearly love is alive, right. you're going to tell somebody. It's immediately going to be the response of the informed, right? Man, I got I to gotta do something with this truth. Now, I thought that was an interesting way to start, but I think there are even other places in Scripture that talk about that motivation for sharing even more than Luke 24 did. For example, in Acts chapter 4, the brethren, uh, in fact, why don't you read verses 18 to 20 of Acts sure. 4. I'm going to do that real quick. Acts 4, 18 says, So they called them, talking about Peter and John, mm-hmm. and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Mm-hmm. So notice their personal experience, they're, they're so moved, they're so motivated by that, that they said even under threat of penalty or physical abuse, right. we can't stop because we just can't help it. What else are we going to say? Right. and We've experienced this. <laughs> and the point that I was trying to make here is that and a genuine experience with Christ, if you've truly had an encounter with Jesus himself, it is uncontainable. I think, again, of Mark chapter 1, how a leper came to him imploring him, uh, saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And you know the story. Right. Jesus does heal him. But and he tells also him not adds, to tell anybody. He's like, shh, don't tell anybody about it. But verse 45, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread mm. the matter. So the idea is Jesus himself said, I'm going to heal you, but partner with me in this and let's let's keep it down, right? And I'm sure he tried I'm sure he didn't mean to be a tattletale, you know, but right. he couldn't help it. It was uncontainable. It was irrepressible. You see this of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, where Jesus demonstrates his divinity, and she's so excited, she leaves her pot, she goes back into town and brings others with her, right? That a genuine experience with Christ is uncontainable. And that, for most Christians, seems the most logical reason why we would want to share anything with others, because of what benefit we've seen in our own life. We can't well, you think it. about the idea, we use the word with the term witnessing all the time. Mm-hmm. A witness is somebody who has a first-hand encounter. Right. <laughs> Something you've seen or heard. And the Bible even uses that language a lot. You know, tell what you've seen and heard. How can we but speak of what we have seen and heard? So it just goes to say that, uh, to co- goes to follow that if you've seen and heard Christ... It's the natural next thing that you're going to witness. And if you're going to witness, and you're like, what is witnessing? How do I know? Like, I don't know enough kind of thing we talked about last (laughs) time. No, you've seen and heard. Right. 
and as you were adding to that, it's not that qualifies you to be a witness, but it also motivates you exactly. to be the witness. You have something to witness, and you want to because it was so powerful, right? Yes. Now, there's a second what Christ has done for us that is less uh, maybe inherently obvious, but I would say is equal or even more important than just the personal experience that I've encountered that I can share with other people. And that is an understanding of Bible truth mm-hmm. is a motivation to share, again, even more so than personal experience. Now, I, I say this, and I know it sounds a little like, well, what could be more exciting to share than what you've seen and heard and felt and experienced? Yeah. Well, there is Bible truth that is even more powerful than that. For example, in Luke 24... The passage under consideration here, after you have the women's experience where they go back and tell of the empty tomb, the next story is the road to Emmaus. And in that story, as you recall, Jesus does not show up and reveal himself and set their, set their, their mind at ease and, and give them an exciting moment. He comes along and purposely conceals himself to get them to the scripture, right? Right. And he does so, and he does this whole line of questioning. What is this thing you're talking about? Oh, they say, are you the only one who hasn't been here? Do you not know? And he's, well, tell me about it. And he goes through this conversation, and then he opens up their understanding. It's like, isn't this exactly what the scripture said? And beginning with that scripture, right, he, he, he explains the truth, right? Verse 25, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? In verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's right. While he was still incognito, unrecognized, he gave them a Bible study. Then the passage goes on and says he revealed himself in the breaking of the bread. And I don't know mm-hmm. how that exactly happened. I don't know if as he, the mannerisms he did it with, or maybe as he extended his hand, they could see the scars, but something said, <gasps> and then he disappears, right? But... They, they say, did not our hearts burn within us and not when he revealed himself? Mm-hmm. It's while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. For them, a knowledge of the scripture, a clear conception of the word of God was life-changing. Right. And it's more even so than seeing Jesus himself. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I don't want to overdraw that statement. Let me be clear. But yeah, so I want to come back to that. I mean, this is the this is the problem, a big problem today in the church is that we do we we make a distinction between an encounter with Christ and encounter with His Word. Yes, you know. Thank you. Whereas, and and, and the point is, yes, they had the personal encounter with Jesus, but Jesus Himself, before He revealed Himself, He wanted to reveal Himself in His Word. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he knew the senses could deceive them. And the idea is we, we undervalue. We almost talk about, well, you can give them a Bible study or you can tell them about a relationship with Jesus. Well, where are you going to get that from? From Scripture. Yeah. And, yeah. and we forget that Scripture is augmented, if you will, by the Spirit of God. Like mm. this, this, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. He uses the Word to impact. So... It's not just letters on a page. Mm. It's living and powerful, you know, and we could go on about the Word. So they, there is an experience with Christ 
through the word. Mm. Well, and it, what I think is fascinating, the next story in Luke 24, the same thing happens again. Jesus appears to them. They get so excited. Right. They, they see his hands and feet. He eats food in front of them, right? But then he said to them, verse 44, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And he goes on to say, and he opened their understanding and that they might comprehend the scriptures. So yes. even though they had seen him personally, he says, now that's great and all, but let me ground it on something that's not potentially vacillating like personal experience. And my mind went back to the apostle, well, not the apostle, but John the Baptist, who, if there was anybody who had a personal experience with Jesus, mm-hmm. he saw Jesus, he touched Jesus, he baptized Jesus. He had the Holy Spirit in full view. He had heard the voice of God. Yet when he got in time of discouragement, when he was languishing in prison, he sent disciples to say to Jesus, are you the one or do we mm-hmm. look for another? Which if there's any example that could tell you that even a deep personal experience can be shaken, mm-hmm. it's that of John the Baptist. Yes. But what is Jesus' response? He doesn't say anything. He does all these acts of healing mm-hmm. and miracles that are a fulfillment of scripture. And he says, now go tell him that. And Desire of Ages says, the disciples bore the message, and it was enough. John recalled the prophecy concerning the Messiah, and then quotes Isaiah chapter 61. And that, mm-hmm. that resting on the, thus saith the Lord, the, the, the surety of the word, gave him peace to go even to his right. grave. That sometimes that I fear that when we make the experience, you know, with Christ that personal thing, the feelings of it, the reason we share our faith. Well, what happens when I'm not feeling it? What happens when I have times of discouragement or, or, or distraction? Right. It's still that word of God remains that steady power in our lives, and that should be a reason to share our faith. Well, Monday's lesson really uh, puts an exclamation point on that in the last paragraph where it says, Our experiences with Jesus cannot be sustained without the foundation of his word. Mm-hmm. Like that, you think about that, that's an amazing statement. Our experiences with Jesus cannot be sustained without the foundation of his word. I mean, how do you know your experience is legitimate? Yes. I mean, the Bible's full, and history is full, of illegitimate experiences where people thought the Lord was leading them this, that, and the other. How do you know? Right. It's through the word. Exactly right. Including the prophecies that point to the history and events leading up to, and including the first and second advents of Christ. With these truths firmly understood, we can be ready and motivated for mission. Mm-hmm. So the, what Christ has done for me is, yes, that experience of, of forgiveness and, and joy that he has, and he's given me his word that I can stand on and have confidence in, and that should be motivation to share. Well, what strikes me in this whole conversation is it really is impossible to explain to somebody who hasn't. Like, even as you're telling it and you're making your points, you're speaking from an experience of one who has been, uh, who has had that experience with Christ through his word. Mm-hmm. And so it can come. But if somebody hasn't, and I think there are a lot of people in the church who, you know, the, who aren't excited about our, the truths that we believe. Right. They've not had that experience with Christ through the Word. Mm. And uh, it's, it's, it's there to be had. Mm-hmm. You know? It, it, and I think, I think maybe the reason a lot don't is that they separate the Word from the person of Christ. And they feel mm. like, oh, this is just a bunch of doctrines. That's not important. You start looking at them differently as the words and teachings of Christ 
and the revelation of Christ, mm -hmm. it's a whole new thing. That living word, that written That's word right. are together. Well, we need to keep going to point number two. Yes. Another motivating factor is not only what God has done for me, but we should share Christ for what he will do for others. That's right. That Praise the Lord. I just want to excited and tell you about my experience. But more than that, I want you to have that experience. So my mm -hmm. concern isn't for my joy, but the potential joy you could have. That's right. And as, this, as the lesson unfolds in chronological order, we're now moving to Acts chapter 2. And it talks about the day of Pentecost where Peter is preaching this powerful sermon. And again, it's based on the word, right. but he can share his own personal experience. And he brings all that together, makes a powerful point. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus, whom you crucified, <laughs> right. is both Lord and Christ. Now, why did he preach that boldly? Was it just because he wanted to show that I know something that you don't, mm -hmm. and the word is right, and you are wrong? And no, he wanted them to repent and become new people That's in right. the forgiveness that Christ offers. And so they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he says, repent, every one of you, right? And I mean, while he's pointing them out, crucifying Christ, he was there denying Christ. So he's exactly. not setting himself above them. He understands the power of repentance. Exactly. And he wants them to have it too. Exactly. He's like, I've had this, and now it's your turn. I want you to have this. So he's preaching earnestly for what Christ will do for them if they'll put their faith in him. I think of uh, the Apostle Paul similarly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, mm -hmm. uh, verse 20. Let's see if we can, whoever can get there first can read it. Uh, we have an impromptu sword <laughs> drill here. This is not going well. Chapter 5, verse 20, mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the motivation there for the Apostle Paul, as I'm sure it was for Peter on the day of Pentecost, was I don't just want to share with you the joy I'm having. I want you to have a share in that joy. Right. And, and God is, I mean, you almost think of begging, pleading, beseeching us to be reconciled to him. And he's simply using us as his mouthpiece for that yes. begging, that reconciliation. Which is amazing to think that God wants to use us to reach other people in that way. Now, in Manuscript Release 8, uh, Volume 18, page 284, Sister White kind of speaks to this in a very pointed way. You want to read that for us, please? It says, I want to say, brethren and sisters, that we must labor for the wandering where they are. You need not expect those who have the chilling influence of the world upon them to, ma to manifest anxiety for their own souls. We must manifest it for them. Do you appreciate salvation? Do you appreciate the great sacrifice that has been made for you? If you do, God help you to deny yourselves and make this sacrifice for your fellow men. Love one another as I have loved you, said Christ. He left the glory and splendor which he enjoyed on high. None of these were sufficient to hold him there and prevent him from coming down to elevate you. And now you, and now are you willing to engage in the work with all your energies and help your fellow mortal around you. Mm. Basically, I love the idea. You must not expect those who have the chilling influence of the world upon them to manifest anxiety for their own souls. And we might think, well, I'll go to someone when they're interested. If they're, he's like, they're, of course they're not interested. They're stuck right. in sin. They're stuck in the world. That's they're right. distracted from Christ. Spiritual you, things are spiritually distracted. Exactly. How, so you have the privilege of being mm -hmm. that ambassador to awaken them to their need, right? So not just when they're eager, I'll share, 
But friends, you should trust that you know what's best and they do need this uh, this great message of hope. Mm, absolutely. Now, I thought it was interesting, too, that sticking with the chrono- chrono- chronological <laughs> approach of the lesson here, in Acts 2, after the day of Pentecost, and the people hear the message and uh, are converted by the preaching of Peter, that what happens to those people is that they don't just go back home and say, that was a really good service. It says that... and. That, and that day, 3,000 were added to them. Mm-hmm. That the Lord didn't just add them to Jesus in a spiritual sense and they depart and become lone you know, individuals. Right. He brings them into the church for continued development. Uh, what's the buzzword today? Discipleship, discipling, right. right? For training, for mentoring, for establishing in the faith. Uh, Christian Service, page 68, there's a great quote there. Yes, it says, preaching is a small part of the work to be done for the salvation of souls. God's Spirit convicts sinners of the truth, and he places them in the arms of the church. Right, and so one of the primary works of the church is not just to tell the message to people, but to help them weave Mm -hmm. it into their own experience and grow in Christ and become genuine disciples of him. Now, I said that discipleship is kind of a buzzword these days, Mm -hmm. and it's trendy, and and I'm glad of it because we're told to go make disciples, and that's a good thing. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has developed the Discipleship Handbook, and it was not referenced in the lesson per se, but the same Sabbath school department that produces these lesson quarterlies also produces the Discipleship Handbook, and I can't recommend that resource enough, specifically when it comes to what do we do for people who are newly come to the faith, who, who have received the message we've given, and now want to build a life in Christ, what would that look like in practical terms? Mm-hmm. Uh, I highly recommend the Discipleship Handbook for a further study of how to help people have that discipleship experience that we see reflected in the early church. Well, an integral part of the handbook, for those who may not be familiar with it, is you you hear handbook and you're like, oh, something they're going to read. But there is a section that is mapped out of six months worth of weekly meetings that a mentor, an assigned mentor, will have with that new member Mm -hmm. to get them active in the church. So it's not just you're going to read some stuff. And then we're going to help you connect with other people in the church and get involved in responsibilities in the church. So there are tasks associated with it, and it's an excellent resource. Uh, You can go to the ABC and find it or grow.adventist.org. Also. Yeah, and it's kind of like the lesson where there's there's theory, but then there's challenges and specific right. practical things. And as the lesson's trying to reach non-believers and witness to them, the Discipleship Handbook is saying, well, what about new believers and established believers? How can we help them too? And so it's continuing that soul-winning work through the process. Amen. Finally, talking point number three from our lesson this week is that effective witnessing requires preparation. Mm-mm-mm. Now, I know that is sounds like the opposite of everything we've ever heard that what we that preparation is almost an enemy to spirituality that we need to just let go and let god we need to be ready whatever that means but just right. get out don't of the Lord's way it. exactly get out of your comfort zone just let him do the work let the spirit lead let jesus take the wheel i could go on and on <laughs> with all of these with these which it, they're all true what do in they a look certain like? extent that's true right but in Acts chapter 1, the, the, the lesson brings this out, and I think wisely so. Well, okay, let's just, you say in a sense, Jesus take the wheel. The wheel is on you. In other <laughs> words, it's like, take the, what Jesus take the wheel means I have nothing to do. No, the wheel is, you're the vehicle. 
<laughs> so when he takes the wheel, you're not out of it. Right. That's my point. Exactly. So the get point. All, yeah. Yeah. So if you were to ask most Christians, what were the disciples doing after Jesus left, but before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost in that little time, I'm guessing most people would say, well, they were just united in prayer and fellowship, yeah. which is true. It is true. If you look at Acts chapter 1, that's exactly what we see. Verses 12, 13, and 14, they returned and they entered the upper room. And it says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay. But then it adds in verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and then he opens up, he does a Bible study, and he says, in light of the scripture, we have a problem. One of our number has left, Mm -hmm. and we are down to 11 when we're supposed to be 12. We need to organize. God's not going to bless a disorganized church. And what I think is interesting is the unity and prayer part is verses 12, 13, and 14. But 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 22, all that's the organization part. And this is before the Holy Spirit's poured out, right? That there is a, I put it in the notes, before the day of Pentecost, the disciples waited patiently and actively. That, that before we're launching on mission, it shouldn't be just a, let's just, just close our eyes and pray. It should also be open our eyes and prepare. Mm -hmm. And those are not enemies to one another. They are compliments. They are necessary twins. As a pastor, I used this passage every time we did a nominating committee. Mm. And I wanted to remind them that the the apostles held a nominating committee, you know, right before Pentecost in that upper room. Because like you said, upper room experience, oh, they were just praying. and And the reason I did that is... We tend to think of committees and planning and organization as n- not spiritual, mm-hmm. while going out and, and, and preaching or giving studies is spiritual. But they go together, as mm-hmm. you're pointing out here, and as we're seeing in the early church. Yes. And what what's interesting, and I, I almost put in the notes, well, they did some spiritual preparation, and then they moved into logistical preparation. And I took that out of the notes because I didn't want to give the impression that that the prayer and the fellowship, that's the spiritual part. But then the organizing, that's the unspiritual, and we just, if you look through how they organized, it wasn't just, they did it based on Bible study, and they prayed to the Holy Spirit after they've done their work to guide and direct their steps. So it's not like well, it was spiritual versus unspiritual. It's all spiritual, and it's yet, all necessary. Where, where do we find God not being organized? Yeah. Whether it be in creation, organizing the children of Israel, like everything he does is organized in imperfect order. So which part of that is unspiritual? Right. That's, that's right. <laughs> like, God, you need to quit being unspiritual and come over here and... No, it's it's yeah, all spiritual. Exactly. The, the spiritual is all of it. Thank you. And the lesson brings us out in paragraphs two and three of Tuesday's quarterly. It says, their time of waiting was not idle, but was filled with purpose and mission-driven action. While we wait... For the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to help us complete the great commission of God, the great mission of God, we mm-hmm. must unite together to encourage each other, right? Hebrews 10 talks about that. Praying for God's Holy Spirit. Also, we should be aligning ourselves and our church with God's priority, the saving of the lost. So, for mm-hmm. instance, Amen. we should be looking at our calendars. We should be looking at our budgets. We should be looking at our personnel. We should be uh, surveying the community around us. We should have a plan of action. We should... The planning is not in opposition to spirituality. I'd say it's the manifestation of spirituality. It's where the rubber meets the road of our, of our motivation to witness. Anyway, 
I that mm. was a that was a bee in my bonnet this time, and I'm glad they kind of brought that out in the lesson. There's this a lot week. more that could be said on that. There is a lot more. Your concluding but, statement comes yes. from Friday, a Christ Object Lessons 67 and 68. There can be no growth or fruitfulness in the life that is centered in self. If you have accepted Christ as a personal Savior, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. As you receive the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of unselfish love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. Your faith will increase, your convictions deepen, your love be made perfect. And obviously that's the experience that all of us want to have to truly grow in Christ. Now we can't leave unless we talk Mm. about our challenge Mm -hmm. and challenge up. That's right. Now, Thursday is where they keep those every time at the bottom of the lesson there. And again, the challenge for this week, think of someone in your life you wish was a believer. Pray every day for him or her to have a personal experience with Jesus. And we hope that that person might be one of the ten you put on your list last week. That's exactly right. (laughs) So hope we're building in not just new people all the time, but we'll take new people too. Sure. But the challenge up then, ask whom are you discipling leading into a relationship with Jesus? Look for ways to bring him or her into fellowship with other believers. So it moves from just the praying to the practical application. Beyond mere prayer, what are you going to do to tangibly move someone in their walk with Christ and in their fellowship in the church and look for ways to concretely do that? Mm. So I'm excited about these. I hope we're taking them seriously. Pastor Howard, can you give us a word of closing prayer? Yes. Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful for the testimony of your word. And as we've reflected on these things, Lord, help us to be more active in mission. Help us to have more of that missionary spirit of Christ, to be filled with that selfless uh, love of Jesus that would help us to love others uh, and long for their salvation. And then, Lord, bless us as we cooperate with you in this wonderful work. Uh, Keep our hearts motivated to seek and save the lost, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.